Good morning, church. Uh, if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. Um, and I know what you're thinking. Uh, weren't you up here last week? Um, that's right. You guys thought it was a safe week. I mean, he preached last week. There's no way he'll preach again this week. We, we should go. It's going to be good. Nope. Sorry. It's me again, guys. Um, Romans chapter 6, we're actually following up, we're continuing um, in Romans, but uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. I'm so excited uh, to get to uh, preach again this week because uh, this passage is a lot like our passage last week in that Paul has brought something up and he's continuing this thought. I mean, that's what a letter is, right? You're just continuing one big long thought, but he's playing directly off of what we talked about last week. If, if you don't remember, you weren't here last week, we looked at the, the second half of uh, Romans chapter 5. And uh, we, we looked at how death is everywhere in our world. And we said one of the ways that the world works is that we cannot run from death. It's everywhere. Uh, we're all going to die at some point, but even more than that, we experience death in our life time and time and time again. And we know that this is true. We, we experience life lessons. Wisdom tells us that all things die. All good things come to an end. Even though we hope they won't, we know that that's the case. Nobody gets married thinking we're probably going to end up getting divorced, right? And yet life experience tells us that the longer that you're married, it's not so much like we are going to stay together. The question becomes, can we stay together? It's, it's the difference between that first day of school and the last day of school. The first day of school, you're so excited, there's so much possibility. The last day of school, you're like, let's just get this over with already, right? Like, this year is dead, it's been awful, can we get beyond it? It's not even the last day of school, it's like the third week of school, right? You're just over it. Death is everywhere. It's right around the corner. As, as, as much hope and potential as there is in the good things in our life, it seems like death snuffs them out a whole lot quicker than we ever want them to, right? This is the way our world works. And Paul says the, it works this way because there was one man, and one man sinned, Adam. And so because of his sin, death entered the world, and it's something we all have to deal with, we have to grapple with, we have to live with. And as hard as the truth as that is to hear, the amazing hope and promise that we have is because, one sin, because sin entered the world through one man, life and righteousness and hope and mercy and grace has been able to enter the world through one man as well, and that's Jesus Christ. And so it's a hard thing for us to hear that death is everywhere and we can't run from death, and that's just the way our world works. But how amazing is it that the way our world works is then because of Jesus Christ we have the hope of life. That's an awesome thing. And so it's there, as Paul's talking about, I want to go back to what we talked about right at the end uh, last week where Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, I know I told you to turn to chapter 6, it's just a couple sentences back, guys. Said, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Up to this point in Romans, Paul's been making a, a pretty articulate, long winded case. Uh, regarding the law. He, he's been primarily addressing a lot of Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. 
talking about the law and the failings of the law and how the law has never been enough to give us what we need. That the idea that just simply knowing the right thing to do will somehow lead to us doing the right thing is ridiculous. Paul has gone through painstaking process to convince us that we are all sinful, to convince us that we don't want the right things. And so Paul says in convincing us of that, the law was never going to measure up and do the thing that we needed it to do. Why? Because you and I are sinful people, and simply knowing the right thing doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do the right thing. So Paul has been up to this point, up to verse 20 of chapter 5, saying don't trust the law for your salvation. It's not going to be enough. And then he wraps this all up by saying, look, it's death that you have to deal with. It's not whether or not we can agree on what sin is. You're going to have to grapple with death and all of the ways it kills the things you love and kills the things you're intended to be. And so the law is not going to bring you back to life. You need something more. You need grace. And Paul says the good news is that grace has abounded. Grace is here and you can have it. And so now as soon as he mentions that, just like last week how we said it was kind of a hard passage to understand because as soon as Paul mentions something, he runs off because he's like, well, let me explain what I'm talking about. And we're like, wait a second, we thought we were talking about something else here. Okay, I get it now. Paul does the same thing. This whole passage we're looking at is Paul saying, because grace abounded, he realizes, okay, I can see where you guys are going to go on the other side of this thing. So let me pull you back to the middle once again. He says, I, I, I know what the inclination is going to be. And so what I want to talk to you about is the unexpected power of grace in your life and what it, all it's been given for. And it hasn't just simply been given so that you can be forgiven. Uh, Paul's afraid that we're going to end up like the German poet Heinrich Hein, who on his deathbed, his last words that he uttered were, of course God will forgive me, that's his job. Paul says if this is the understanding of what grace is and what it does and all that it's for and the power that it brings into your life, you're really selling yourself short on God's power and God's love and what God wants for you and what he's done for you. This idea that Hine represents, that he says, and that's one that is kind of right there on the tip of our mind all the time, is this one where as good as things could maybe be, things really are never going to change, Right? Things never really get better, do they? I mean, they definitely get worse, but they don't get better. The best we can hope for in this life is kind of like the status quo, right? Like, let's just like not get worse. That would be great, okay? Can we go like one election cycle with things not getting worse, right? If we could just find somebody to like keep things like, let's just like, let's stay here for a while at least, like get used to it, right? And yet, like, every time it, like, plunges and plunges and plunges, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. This is how you are. And you can't choose anything different. You're going to keep screwing your life up 
in the same ways over and over and over again. And so thank God, though, at the end of your life, you can say, well, God's going to forgive me. Paul says, man, that is such a bleak outlook on your life. Because this issue that we addressed last week at the very beginning of death and how it kills the good things in our life to such a degree that Paul has to tell husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. Paul says, that's not the life God intends for you. This is a, this is a prisoner mentality. This is a mentality as though we're all living in a prison yard and the walls of the yard are death. And sure, it feels like there are like things you can do. You have a certain amount of freedom while you're in the yard, but you can only go so far. And it feels like freedom as long as you, like, no, as long as you choose to not notice the fact that you're hemmed in by death. Death is as far as you can go. And when you die, ugh, who knows what happens after that, right? Let's just hope God will forgive us because that's his job. Paul says there's something totally different. And so we need to think that way. We need to understand that. And that's where he goes, starting in Romans chapter 6. He says there in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a rhetorical question, in case you didn't pick that up. Paul's being a smart aleck here. He's saying, do you hear how ridiculous this sounds? This is the old way of thinking when you didn't have a choice. This was what a prisoner does and says, this is the best it's going to do. And I have to wait for death. Paul says in this old way of thinking, death is just that. It is death. It is the end of everything that is good, everything that you were intended for. It goes nowhere. And so because of that, you avoid death at all costs, right? Paul can't believe anyone would still think this way. Because what Paul is getting at, what he wants to show us here, is that grace, the grace of God has brought so much more than just forgiveness in our lives. Grace has a power to bring some things that we desperately need. He says the grace of God has the power to actually bring choice into our life. Because of God's grace through the life and the death and the resurrection that we're going to talk about of Jesus Christ, we have a choice that has never been available to us before. And choice is a powerful thing, right? Like, I, I, I was thinking about this this week, and it was like, man, like, this is such a, like, crazy concept that, that Paul would introduce to Roman readers that you have a choice in what you do. We hear that, and we're like, well, of course I have a choice, right? Like, I, get to, I can choose anything I want. Like, my goodness, Hannah this week, like, realized that we hadn't ordered Eden Valentine's cards for her class. And she was like, they're probably all going to be sold out at the store. And I was like, well, she'll be that kid that doesn't come with Valentine's cards. I don't know what to tell you. Hannah instantly pulls out her phone, gets on Amazon, orders Valentine's cards. They show up the next day. It's like, what in the world? 
And she's like, she's going to win the prize for the best Valentine's. They're like little squishy things. They're not the normal discard thing. I mean, it's, yeah. I was like, I was like you, you went way. How much is this costing me was my question. So we live in a world where we are always right because we have a choice that we can take our business elsewhere, right? We live in a world that when we feel the pain of only having one choice. It is the most uncomfortable, unnatural thing to us, right? When you know you need something and yet you can't get it, it's not an option. It is the most foreign feeling to us because we live in a world of choice. But this isn't the way the world is, naturally. This isn't the way we are. Paul says, without the grace of God, you do not have a choice in who you are or what you do. You're under the dominion of sin. And being a sinner and sinning is all you're ever going to do apart from God's grace. And what Jesus Christ has done is he has introduced grace into the equation so that you now have a choice. And so because of that, when Paul asks the questions, should we go on sinning so that grace may, may abound? He says, by no means. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It was a little over a month ago, we, we, we talked about this phrase, this by no means. Uh, Paul says this six times in Romans, never says it anywhere else in all the other uh, letters that we have in the New Testament. It, it, is, it is the most emphatic way that he can say what you're talking about is crazy. Stop thinking that way. Paul can't even begin to wrap his mind around the fact that anybody would think that way is really when it gets here. And, and the reason why he brings this up over and over again in the book of Romans, and he doesn't do it elsewhere, is because, as we've said over and over again, Romans is Paul's greatest treatise on the gospel. It's Paul saying this is what the gospel is and what it's all about. And he wants to make sure we get it right. And so Paul gets really worked up in a few places. And when he says, by no means, he's like, don't get this wrong. Because if you screw this up, you're going to screw up the gospel. Amen. Paul says, when you take grace and you say all it's good for is forgiveness... And so because of that, I just have to keep going on living a life in death and hope that God will forgive me at the end of it. He says, you're putting the power of God on the same level as the power of sin and death. The best we can hope for, then, is that God just has the final say. Paul's point, the reason he brings up baptism, the reason he talks about dying with Christ in order that we might be raised with Christ, is Paul says, this might be true. That line of thinking may have been true if Jesus hadn't been resurrected. The resurrection of 
Jesus shows us that the power of God to bring about life out of death far eclipses any power that sin and death hold over us. And so you see, when we die with Jesus, we not only participate in his death, we also then participate in his resurrection. One of those questions that you always want to ask people um, at parties and stuff, but like you don't want to be, um, you know, just people to think you're, you know, weird, um, is how do you want to die? Has anybody ever like just wanted to ask that to a group of people? I do. Like, how do you want to die? Like, right? It's an interesting question because what you find out is, is like what people are really afraid of, right? Like, you know, and, and, you know, I... I don't really know how I, I mean, I mean, okay, so the, so the answer that everybody says, how do you want to die, is like, you know, asleep in my bed and everything like that, and it's like boring, right? So, so really the question is, how do you not want to die, right? And it's such an interesting question, because it, it gives you kind of like an insight into people's psyche, but, but even more than that, it's an interesting question just to talk about, because we realize as we ask it, we don't get a choice in how we die, right? We don't get to choose, How great would it be if we did get to choose? The best that we can do in this life is to say, I know I don't want to die that way. And so we orchestrate and order our life to try to minimize the risk of dying like that. I don't want to die falling out of something really high and free falling and thinking about everything for, you know, a few minutes. So I'm not going to go skydiving, like, right? It's the best we can do. But at the end of the day, we don't get to choose how we die. Paul says, because of grace, you do. You don't get a choice whether or not you die. But you do get to choose something so vital, and that is what your death accomplishes. Think about that for a second. That's never a question we ask anybody. We ask, how do you want to die? But we never ask people, What do you want your death to do? We, because we see death as the end. Death is the thing to be avoided. Death is the thing to run from. But that's the way the old world worked, Paul says. He says your death can count for something now. Your death can actually do something now. And you get to choose what it does. You get to choose if your death is just that, just death, the end. Or you get to choose if death leads to new life. Paul says grace has the power to give you a choice to decide what your death is going to mean. And it can either be the end of everything you've built up and the life you've tried to acquire for yourself, or it can be the beginning of the life God intends for you. In saying this, Paul goes on in Romans Chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Uh, this is the part of this passage where we can get a little bit ahead of Paul. Uh, Paul, Paul has, uh, you know, some, you know, like anybody, you know, when they talk about stuff, they have like particular language that they go to time and time again. And this idea of the old self is a common theme in a lot of Paul's writings. And it's a big idea. And, and, and if you've read any other Paul stuff, you like, you hear the old self and you're like, oh, I know exactly what that's talking about. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about put, put off the old self, put on the new self. And so he talks about this change that goes on uh, in the individual. And so we're like, we hear this here in Romans chapter 6, and we're like, yes, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's not talking about just being told I'm righteous. He, he's talking about the process of becoming righteous, of, of God making me righteous. But that's not what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 6 at this point. No, actually, that interchange, that doesn't come till later in Romans chapter 8. Here, Paul is just still talking about what's been done when you die in Jesus Christ. What happens? And what he's talking about with the old self is a relationship. The old relationship to sin. This dominion that we're under. And that might not sound like much. If you're like, man, that, that, I don't know. Like, I, I really like the old self, new self thing and stuff like that. And that has a whole lot of implication. This is huge. And if we don't understand this, what Paul is saying, we miss out on the process, the beautiful life-giving process that Jesus has for us to grow in him. See, last week we talked about, uh, as we were talking about sin, we, we, we said that sin is robbery. That was, an, that was an idea that comes from Karl Barth. Uh, sin steals the good things from us and actually then turns around and uses those good things that have been given to give us life to bring death. Uh, as, as Bart's talking about that, he, he says that this issue of sin stealing what is good is not one that just we are uh, bogged down by. It, it, it's actually one that has affected all of the world. In describing it, he says, like men, the world is imprisoned and unwillingly participates in the perversity of men and shares their damaged relationship with God. And so in this world, which is our world, the true life is invisible, unknown, and impossible. Paul says we have an old self a way of understanding ourselves and understanding our world that is dominated by sin. And he says, we have no other way of knowing who we are or how the world is supposed to look because it's invisible. It's unimaginable. It is impossible without the grace of God. And so Paul is telling us that not only does grace bring choice, but it brings truth to our lives. The grace of God enlightens our minds and our souls and our entire being to not only who God is, but also who we have been made to be and how our world has been made to be and what is possible because of the power of Jesus Christ. And that what is possible is more than just sitting on our deathbed saying, darn it, God's going to, he's going to forgive me because it's his job. And what's possible is actually living in relationship with him as we were originally intended to. 
Grace shows us the truth of who God is, who we are, and truly what is possible in this life, in this world. We have this old self, Paul is saying, that is dominated by the way this world appears. And the way this world appears isn't the way things really are. What's interesting is you find this idea, modern psychology has actually tried to figure out, like, they've grabbed onto this. Um, In modern psychology, uh, there's uh, this thing called the false self, right? You hear a lot of people talk these days about, you know, finding their true self and everything like that. Usually it's all based on emotions and and that sort of thing. But when this was uh, first uh, thrown out there, uh, it was by uh, this guy named uh, Donald Winnicott. He was an English uh, pediatrician and psychoanalyst. And and working with children, uh, Winnicott uh, uh, found something. He he said the false self, this idea that he uh, proposed, is an artificial persona that people create very early in life to protect themselves from re-experiencing developmental trauma, shock, and stress in close relationships. What he was trying to explain, we know to be true in that we have been made in God's image. We have been made for a specific purpose. Yet as we interact with a wrecked world that is full of sin and death, we change how we see ourselves and how we see other people just simply so we can try to survive. What Winnicott saw through his studies and working with children was that we do this at such an early age, it becomes so ingrained in us that we begin to believe this false self is really who we are. And we don't realize who we really are. It's invisible to us. It's impossible. He said there are four main ways that this shows up in our life, in in reality. And and there are things that each of us, I I think as you go through these four, we're all one of these. The way he described it was it's a way that we see ourselves. That we either have a sense of self-importance, a sense of self-loathing, self-protection, or self-indulgence. And that for all of us, because of the world that we live in, and just simply trying to avoid death at all costs, we have taken on one of these as our main identity. Well, Paul says that is not who you are. That for some of us, we have a sense of self-importance either because we were born into or worked ourselves into privilege. We look at people around us and, you know, darn it, I'm better than them. Now, I don't want to say it out loud, but people tell me all the time, eh, I've got something. I'm, I'm pretty special. And because this is who we are and how we understand ourselves and the world around us, we feel the need constantly to assert our value, to make sure people know how special we really are. 
to make sure we're the ones that are calling the shots because, man, I'm right, right? On the flip side of that, there's self-loathing and there's just the idea that you're worthless. Somewhere along the line, you bought into the idea that you don't have any good ideas. That was a bad idea. That you have nothing to offer. That other people around you are much more valuable than you. And so you don't speak up. You don't put yourself out there. There's always more that you could do. You're telling yourself you're wrong before you even begin. Paul says this is not who you are. This is not the truth. This is a lie that you've been told in a world that you lived in that was dominated by sin and death, and that's not the world you live in anymore. For others of us, we know all too well that other people in the world that we live in are dangerous, and so we self-protect. Everything we do is calculated to minimize the risk of death. Everything we do is based out of fear. Others of us have gone to the other extreme and we self-indulge. Sometimes to forget, other times just to enjoy. YOLO, right? I mean, you only live once, really, truly, right? So you might as well enjoy it while you've got it. And so we self-indulge. For all of us, we can say that one of these Ways, one of these four senses of ourself is the main way we see ourselves, is the thing we struggle with. I could just pause for a second right now and say, which of these do you struggle with? And you should be able to limit to, I mean, if you have three, like we should talk afterwards, but like one, maybe two. Three's a little much, guys. Paul says the truth that grace has shown us is that this is not real. This is not who you are. And it's ridiculous to keep living like you are. You are made in the image of God. And what that means is that the God created the universe, the God who created all these different planets and all these amazing things that we're constantly discovering day after day, that we didn't know that were there. All the wonders that we can't explain, that just like you try to wrap your mind around the theory of relativity and you go crazy. That God created you specifically, individually, for great things. In his kingdom. That's the truth that grace brings. And that's the truth that Paul is saying, choose that truth. You have a choice today to believe the truth of who God is and who you are. And start living through that. Or you can choose to remain under the lordship of sin and death. But that's all that that's going to result in. Paul says, see it for what it really is. 
Death is a lie to keep you trapped, running around in circles, thinking you're this way. Understand the wide open spaces that God has intended you for and live in the freedom of the life of Jesus Christ. Knowing exactly who you are and what you're capable of, not because of your own work, but because of the work of the power of the Holy Spirit of God in you. He wraps up in this section by saying in verses 8 through 11, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. There are three things he says here that are like so vital. They, they, they string the, the, the whole uh, four verses together. He says, we believe, we know, and so consider. Because we believe and because we know, we should consider ourselves a certain way. The word he uses here for consider is the same exact word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, Look, consider the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It doesn't always feel like that, though, right? I mean, we know that that's what Jesus says, but it doesn't always feel like we're of more value than the birds of the air or the flowers in the fields, right? Yeah, I get it. He feeds them. He, you know, clothes them. But, like, I'm struggling to pay my bills. What about that? I don't have enough for this new season that God has brought me into emotionally, spiritually, just even energy-wise. I can't do it. It doesn't always feel like we are of more value than birds and flowers, does it? This word that Jesus says, look, that Paul says, consider yourselves alive in Christ, it literally means to bend down and to examine closely. What both Jesus and Paul are saying is it doesn't always feel like this is the truth. But the more you lean into it, the more you examine it, the more you put it to the test, you're going to find out that this is exactly the way it is. And it's this way because God says it's that way. God says, examine it. Put it to the test. Just try it out. Try it on for size. Walk around with it for a few days. You're going to find out that I do care about you that much. You're going to find out that you are alive in Christ the way I said it. Grace finally brings something that we need so desperately in our lives. Grace brings us assurance. Assurance that what God says he's going to do, he is going to do. And God says you can be alive in Christ, you can be alive in Christ. 
it may not always feel like you're alive in Christ. Paul says, lean into it, examine it, give yourself to it, and you'll find it to be the reality. There's been a change in our relationship, in the way we relate to sin, in the way we relate to the world, in the way we relate to God, in the way that we see ourselves, in the way that we see other people. We may not always feel like there's been a change, but it's true. It's a lot like moving from being single to being married. Um, I don't know if you guys have a similar experience uh, that I did, but um, I woke up the day after my wedding, and I felt the same. Anybody else feel that way? I mean, we had this, like, pretty amazing wedding. Like, our, our wedding, like, went surprisingly really well. Like, our, we really wanted stuff to go wrong in our wedding so that we had, like, awesome stories to tell. And um, our wedding went great. It was the honeymoon that was awful. And so um, we came back. We needed, a honey, we needed a vacation from our honeymoon. It was, it was exhausting. And so, um, but we... Um, the day after the wedding, there was this, it was this incredible, we had an incredible time, but I woke up, I was the same person. I had the same thoughts, I had the same fears, same temptations, same shortcomings. I, I, I really thought getting married would have changed me a whole lot more, right? That's what the movies told me. I mean, the movies tell me, like, when you fall in love and you look in that person's eyes and you have that first kiss and you say, I do, like, everything changes. You're a totally different person. That's what, that's what Hallmark sells me on every year, right? We know the reality of our world is these big things happen. There are these massive changes in the relationships and how we relate to one another, how we relate to our spouses. Are you different right at that moment? Yes and no. But how ridiculous is it, though, even if I don't feel different? How ridiculous is it to wake up the day after my wedding and say, you know what, I'm going to act like I'm single today? We know how ridiculous it is because we see people do it all the time. And half the time, like what you just need to tell people that are struggling in the marriage, is just stop acting like you're single. Stop thinking that way. Stop being that way. Like, I get it. You still want to do the things that you did when you were single. But guess what? You're not single anymore. There's been a change in the relationship that you're in. So start acting like you're married. And I get it. Like, there wasn't like this like, great thing that happened and you're all of a sudden this different person and you have totally different thoughts and you speak a different language now and all this different stuff. Like, you didn't like sports before and now you like sports. Like, I, I get, like, that doesn't happen. When I woke up that next day, I thought, I have no idea how to be a husband. But you know what I did? I chose today I'm going to act like I'm married. Because the truth is, I am. And I leaned into it, and I considered myself married, and I learned that day how to be a husband. And then I woke up the next day, and I had a choice to make, and I said, you know what the truth is? I'm a husband, and so I'm going to be a husband today. And I learned how to be a husband 
that day. When we choose something other than what we are, imagine how much we miss out on. Imagine how much I missed out just because I didn't feel that day like I was a husband. How much I would have missed out on in that relationship with my wife if I had done that. And I've done that on certain days. And I look back and it's like, man, I screwed up. Not the days I go golfing. Those days are good days. But other than that, everything else. You're married now, so live like it. Paul says, you're alive in Jesus Christ now, so live like it. You might not feel like it, but choose the truth of who you are and what's been done for you and lean into it, and God will show you today how to live like you're alive in Jesus Christ. So what happens when we die? You just start living. So often in our life, we're expecting, we're waiting on that moment, that moment with Jesus to to be this moment that changes everything about who we are. And we're not even close to the same person we were before. And then a little time goes by and you know what happens? The great thing that took place in that one moment begins to fade and we start to doubt. And we're like, why am I still struggling with the same things that I was struggling with before? Maybe it wasn't real, all those different things. Doubt creeps in and we say, maybe I'm just living in the dominion of sin and death and there's nothing I can do and anything I can change and I don't have a choice. And Paul says that's not the truth. The truth is you are alive in Jesus Christ and so live like it today. Choose to live that way and God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will show you how to do that. And guess what? You're going to have the same choice to make again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And before you know it, you're a good spouse. Before you know it, the things that you struggled with before are not the things you struggle with now. Why? Because God has been growing you and changing you. And you have figured out in certain areas of your life what it looks like to live in Jesus Christ. And guess what, though? You have to figure it out again today because you're in a different area of your life. And there are different things you're dealing with. But Paul says... When you die, just start living. Just do it. Do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and you will see as you examine it, as you give yourself to it, as you ask God to prove himself that what he has said he will do and has done is true. And the power of God and the grace that he has brought is so much more than forgiveness that we can count on at the end of our life. It is the ability to choose the truth of the world that we live in, to see that and to have certainty that as we give ourselves to that, God will be faithful and he will grow that love in us, both for him, for those around us. And we will be able to share the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your, uh, your grace 
Just your faithfulness, Lord, is what we need. We just ask now that we would open ourselves to, to you, to, to ask for you to show us, well, to help us make that choice. To focus on now and to say, I want to choose the truth of, uh, I, I believe and I know that Jesus has died and, and risen again. And so I am certain that because of that, I too can be alive in Jesus Christ today. Father, would you help us not to focus on what may come or, or what's down the road, but just here and now that we would choose to be with you and be in relationship with you. That you would show us what it looks like to live with you now. Father, whatever it is that we need to let go of that we're hanging on to, would you pry it from our hands? so that we would know you and only you. Would your Holy Spirit have your way with us? As we walk out, we might be able to say, I, I don't know, I, I definitely don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm not the saint that you know, Paul writes to in other letters, but I know I'm alive in Jesus because God told me that I am. Lord, would your Holy Spirit just witness to ours that we truly are your children. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the effects of living in a broken world is that uh, the way that we think our world works is that we do and then we know. And so I want to know that I'm a person of worth and so I have to do something of worth, something great, and then I'll know I'm of worth. Uh, and so when we talk about this, when we, when we talk about being alive in Christ, we say, well, well, how do I do it? How do I do it so I can know I'm alive in Jesus? And the how doesn't come until next week in verses 12 through 14. Because Paul says that's not the way the world works, actually, with God. Because it's knowing that comes first, and then it's doing that we know because, our, because the things that are true are not because we have done them, but they're because of the grace of God. And so we can be certain that it's that way because God's done it and not us. And so we can go from here not knowing exactly what it looks like and how we do it. Because this is, how, this is where it gets so frustrating. Because we, I don't spend enough time with God. I'm, I'm struggling with these temptations. I, I, I keep screwing up all, all these different things. So I, I, I'm not doing the stuff so I know that I'm alive. Know that you're alive. And then allow through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace to do those things. You can go from here today knowing that in Jesus Christ you have been made alive in him and through his power and his power alone his grace has brought you to the choice to live that way amen and then have a great week guys we'll see you next week